Wyatt, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined by the first man I messaged as soon as I realized Eminem had dropped a new album this week. It's Carl Grice. How's things? No, if I hadn't worked. Yeah, I was, I was waiting for, for it when, when the new album dropped. I waited for it to slide into my DMs. <laughs> Always the first one that I message when that when that hits, and what what a banger it is! I've been listening to it nonstop. I know the lots of um, the hidden um, digs at people. I even watched the Machine Gun Kelly diss on him. He's quite, he's quite good, but mate, you don't play you don't play the big big dog's yard. <laughs> I saw a great picture on Facebook earlier that was like. Um, when you finally get old enough to have a go back at your dad with a picture of Machine Gun Kelly with his blonde hair. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, so anyone that is into hip-hop like we are, I suggest you go and check it out. Very, very old-school Eminem vibe to it, so worth a listen. And yeah, lots of not-so-subtle not digs as well as a few subtle ones on there as well. But we're here to talk wrestling today, believe it or not, and we had ourselves a little dilemma when we came to get our shows in order this time around, because we watched In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies, and realized WCW didn't bother doing a fucking pay-per-view, so we had nothing to compare it with. Nope. So, what we've done is watch the pay-per-view, we're going to have a chat about that one and what we enjoyed and what we didn't enjoy, and then we decided to watch the next night's Raw and Nitro, so we're going to put those ones head-to-head for something a little bit different this time around. Um, three shows this time, Carl, am I pushing my luck with getting you to watch this much wrestling, or what? Oh, not really, because if you combine the times, it's only just over a little over Raw these days, so it was only about just over four hours, so... <laughs> <laughs> Did feel oh, I think that that's just enough time for the Shield to go to jail, put in the middle, <laughs> get back, and, and win the main event. <laughs> oh fuck! I can't be bothered watching any current wrestling. I didn't even watch. You know, this is the first time in in probably about four years. I didn't even watch a minute of SummerSlam. Uh, I think I did watch. Actually, yes, I think this is the first SummerSlam was the first one I've watched in a long time. I just I don't bother. I don't watch. Raw. I just watch the YouTube highlights to get a bit of what I'm up to, of what I'm up to. Even NXT a bit. I've kind of like I used to always watch that. But I've kind of like fizzled on that too. It's just like I always. Sorry, go on. I just like I just in the minute like I say, going back even back to that Shield thing when the Shield came out and then Kevin Owens ran out and started beating them all. But then the Cruz before Braun Strowman was beating Kevin's own up. Kevin Owens up. So why are you helping him? But stuff like that annoys me. Greatly. I've kind of, uh, my NXT viewing habits have changed a little bit now, and I've realized every time they do a takeover, the next one or two episodes are just dark matches from the pay per view arena. So I just check out for a couple of weeks after every pay per view, and then when it starts to get back to full sale and they put some matches on, I start watching it again. Did you watch the takeover then, huh? I did watch takeover. Oh. It wasn't. Pro- Probably wasn't one of the better ones, but it was still good. Really? That tag match and the Ricochet match was incredible. Yeah, I just, I don't know, like, the Ricochet-Velveteen match, uh, not Ricochet and Velveteen, Ricochet-Adam Cole match was really good, and I thought Velveteen and EC3 was pretty good, and the main event was pretty good. There just wasn't, there wasn't the absolute match of the year candidate on it that there normally is, like, in my opinion. There was a lot of good matches, but there wasn't any you know, really, truly memorable ones this time around. Well, yeah, because I still have Pete Dunn on it. That's why. 
<laughs> that um that super kick spot though was probably the move of the year. Oh yeah, it was absolutely it was incredible. I don't you know why you know why I'm a bit down on this one. I'll be probably the simplest explanation is I just don't like last man standing matches. No, it was good, but the ending was a bit bullshittery to be honest. So yeah, I just don't like last man standing matches. I think there's too much. Um... Going back, there's just too much waiting in them for a, a blood feud, isn't there? Yeah, and I say the ending where he did where he thinking himself. I thought it was clever with the handcuff, and the only reason he still stood up was because he was handcuffed to that thing. That was clever, but it's kind of like he just kept hitting him and hitting him, and then fell to, fell hoisted on his own petard at the end. I probably would have liked the ending a lot more if they'd not done the same spot from the ring to the floor earlier in the match. Yeah. But anyway, that's not what we're reviewing, yeah, so yeah, that, we're going to... We don't want to talk about good wrestling for too long. Well, I'm leaving the rat race and heading for the country on a mile. Chevy pickup with a pinchy for my honey. Drive on down to Nashville, listen to my radio. Come on, baby, gonna head out to the dance hall, make a little noise. Gonna crank up the band, make some music with the boys. And Double J is gonna be singing for Let's talk about some 1996. Um, <laughs> <laughs> April 28, 1996, to be exact. We're coming from the Omaha Civic Center. Uh, sorry, the Omaha Civic Auditorium in Omaha, Nebraska, in front of a crowd of 9,563. And this pay-per-view is notable for being the last WWF appearance of Razor Ramon and Big Daddy Cool Diesel. All right. And the first in your house to carry a subtitle as well. Ah, very good. So we're going, yeah, we're, we're not sort of UFC 146 here. We're, we're deciding to separate them a little bit, bit more distinguishable. And the, ma- the, the match, the pay-per-view even, gets started with a hype video of the Diesel-Shawn Michaels rivalry. Um, bit of a glass half full, half empty narration going on. And then the um, cheesy, cheesy, cheesy in your house song to follow up that really epic rivalry video. What did you think about the, um, the opening video followed by the in your house theme? Anyway, I, I thought the opening video was pretty good. It told a, a decent enough story. It gave you the whole Diesel-Shawn Michaels story in a in a couple of minutes blast and then what's not to love about the in your house theme i love, absolutely love those plane bombs dropping over omaha <laughs> what's not to love about the in your house theme we'll splice some in <laughs> at, at, the, at the start of the show and we'll let everyone decide prove not to <laughs> um and we see our first good sign of the night really um 
sort of cutting edge humor here and it just simply says gay dust <laughs> I've got, yeah i've got the same name god bless the 1996 <laughs> american crowd and it only gets worse <laughs> Oh, it definitely gets worse. <laughs> match, our first match to get us underway is the British Bulldog and Owen Hart taking on Jake the Snake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson. Um, you heard that right. It is a tag match, though it was meant to be a singles match. It was meant to be Jake and the Bulldog based on the um, little beatdown that happened on the European tour that we talked about on one of the last Raw and Nitro episodes. But I guess cooler heads prevailed and realized 1996 Jake Roberts and the British Bulldog were not going to have a matt classic so they thought they'd bring in an owen and ahmed to heat the things up a little bit here yeah so bulldog was actually carrying an injury so that's why he got changed to a tag because he couldn't carry the weight ah very good yes even so it's i would just had owen oh no 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 they just jake and ahmed as a tag team chills me to my very core <laughs> I read somewhere somebody said that Ahmed Johnson reminds him of a bottle of Budweiser, and that's the way we chuckle that did. <laughs> How so? <laughs> With his red trunks and his the colour of his skin, he looks like a looks like a Budweiser uh, bottle. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> so. <laughs> We did get told it was going to be a 1v1 before all this went down. Essentially what's happened is Jake's come out with the snake because Jim Cornette's in there with the Bulldog and Owen Hart waiting for him. Um, he pulls the snake out, which causes Jim Cornette to faint, and then Jake just leaves. But he comes back with Ahmed Johnson to a pretty good pop from the crowd, so they're obviously excited for the prospect of Ahmed getting involved here. He should have come out. When he went back, he should have come out with the biggest sack with Ahmed inside it. That would have been brilliant. <laughs> thrown him out that would have been brilliant and then did you get the bit where uh, um, Jim Cornette collapsed and uh, Jerry Lawler on commentary with uh, where's Goldust I'm sure he'll revive him uh. <laughs> yep yeah, a few more homosexual jokes in there to get us started yep yeah. beautiful <laughs> okay back after technical difficulties and we were just about to get started with a tag team match uh jake the snake and owen hart get started jake works over the arm before the bulldog and ahmed johnson come in to provide the power um, from each duo the bulldog however wants none of it and immediately tags out for some really good bulldog and owen comedy um trying to avoid ahmed at all costs we see um See Jake Roberts come in with a hip toss. Owen Hart bails on the DDT, though, and an Ahmed Johnson comes back in, and once again, the Bulldog bails out. Ahmed Johnson hits a big clothesline before the Bulldog catches him with a sneak attack. A body slam and some punches, but Ahmed no-sells. This is the Bulldog's cue to get out of dodge. Tags Owen back in, who eats a big press slam before firing back with a missile drop kick, a top rope fish drop, and then Jake and... Um, and before, sorry, before the heels take turns beating on Jake Roberts. We get a hot tag back to Ahmed, who comes in with a spine buster and a clothesline. Um, we get Jake coming in for the DDT, but Owen Hart saves the Bulldog's bacon. 
uh, eats a double clothesline for his trouble. And then the Bulldog uses the tennis racket to the knee three times. We get a leg lock put in, and then we have a submission victory for the heels, which was a big surprise. So what did you think about this opening contest here, Carl? Uh, what have we got? Um, we've not mentioned at any point that Clarence Mason was with the, with the three of them. I wondered if they often looked at Clarence when he was behind the curtains going, what the fuck is this guy here for? Um, but as for the match, it was classic hearingness from Owen and Bulldog with avoiding Ahmed, obviously Bulldog avoiding him. Um, what have I got? Oh, during the match, I always like, um, why no one ever employs a missed elbow drop as their finishing move by going dumb? Because it seems to, whenever anyone misses an elbow drop, they seem to lay down for a hell of a long time. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I think it was going all right, but that ending was absolutely appalling. That leg lock that he put on Jake was abysmal. I don't think anybody would have tapped out of it. You could clearly see after about three minutes that Jake was absolutely knackered as well. So hence probably why Ahmed was in there. So they could at least get six minutes before both <laughs> of them would be uh, both of them would be out of it. But yeah, no. Uh, average match with a horrendously bad ending. Um, yeah. And obviously lots of focus of Diana, which was akin to the time. Uh, keep showing her at ringside. Yeah, there's a big storyline coming up involving her very, very soon. Yeah, I mean, another bit, obviously, with the storyline and speak about on Raw, but I don't know, it wasn't anything that you ever paid attention to, which I thought was a bit odd. You thought more attention for her disappearing would have been, oh, where's she going? But it wasn't really mentioned at all. There was four guys. You'd see the four guys on the front row giving Bulldog shit the entire match as well. They got very no, annoying very that. quickly. Yeah, but Bulldog was giving it back. We're gonna. I'm sure the, the next show we do together is going to focus quite heavily on this Bulldog and um, Shawn Michaels storyline. But did it strike you how similar it is to the real life goings on between Shawn Michaels, Sonny, and Chris Candido that they basically explained exactly what was really happening in real life, but changed the characters to Bulldog and Diana? Well, no, I didn't really pick up on that. Good point, well put. Um, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I was just... This is not something the first time around I obviously thought of, but watching um, or hearing that apparently during the Bulldogs match, Diana snuck off to get a little bit jiggy with Shawn Michaels is pretty much the exact recount of what happened with Shawn and Sonny. So, yeah, a bit of... Um, art imitating life there. Is that why she, when she ran off in the tag team match, she went and gave him a quick hand job later on? <laughs> <laughs> One can only assume. <laughs> Next up, we see uh, Mark Miro and the 123 Kid discussing their previous match on the Superstar line. And yeah, I think you messaged me during the week saying, why the fuck was this on the free sh- uh, on the free for all? And why didn't we get this on the pay-per-view? Exactly. I mean, Miro's... It would be Miro's would technically have been his pay-per-view debut, but they put him on the pre-show, and we get the gold does warrior farce, which they could have easily just punged on there. We get that tag team match. It's um, no, it was a bit of a bit of a head scratch. Apparently, like, I see, I watched it um, separate from the pay-per-view just because I wanted to see the match, and it wasn't anything special to be perfectly honest. DX beat down of uh, Mark Miro at the end. I totally forgot the one, two, three kid was with Million Dollar Man at that time as well. And then they yeah, protected, so. and then at the end they had like the the ending still protected the one, two, three kid, which was 
I was, why are they still protecting that guy? Yeah, I wonder if they still had hopes of keeping him at this point, um, as futile as it would prove to be. <laughs> Indeed. So, our next matchup, as you just alluded to, is Goldust defending his Intercontinental Championship against the returning Ultimate Warrior. So, this is a um, clash of styles of which we have never seen and hopefully will never see again for as long as we live. I've literally, my first note when I saw it was Goldust versus Ultimate Warrior. Fuck, it's this car crash. <laughs> Did you cop here? Goldust comes out first with Marlena and some guy. They're not really don't really explain what his relationship is, but my note just says he looks like Conrad the Thompson dressed as a gangster. Yeah, well, I message you. It's actually the artist forming Ernest Mantar playing the bodyguard at this point. He does not look much like Mantar in this in this outfit, but yeah, I would never would have picked it. No, because maybe if I had big black paint on his face, maybe then, maybe then. Or the horns, you know. Oh yeah, he must, he must have had them trimmed before being fitted for the suit. <laughs> so we show we we show a um, replay during the introductions here of gold dust blowing in the Ultimate Warrior's face. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave that one there for a moment um, He comes out with a bandage on his left knee And the warrior comes out for his entrance with some pyro So, you know, 96, they could afford pyro for the warrior But they're not using it too much these days No Goldust basically bails before the match can start And then I'm just going to go through what happens here bit by bit So um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be horrendous But it's not as bad as watching it, I guess First, the Ultimate Warrior smokes Marlena's cigar. Then the Ultimate Warrior goes and gathers Marlena's chair. Then Goldust's robe and Goldust's wig. He sits in the chair wearing the, the wig and the robe and smokes the cigar while the commentators try and tell us this is mind games. We get a, um, a very loud chant from the crowd. It's not completely audible for me, um, but I th- I, I'm... Fairly comfortable in saying they're chanting fag at gold dust. Yes. Fag it. Uh, yeah. He um, threatens to go and kiss the crowd, which was a great heat-seeking maneuver that he used in his early days. And his normal um, voice as well, which made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I believe he's all talk and no action, because even with a crowd under 10,000, he probably doesn't have long enough on the pay-per-view to achieve that goal. Uh, especially in Nebraska. Get- they're definitely going to be scared of that. <laughs> we get a um a second faggot chant which is great um they are basically then he gets into the ring and asks the ultimate warrior to give him his stuff back so the ultimate warrior gives it back to him and my note just he says what the fuck is going on warrior then stubs the cigar out on gold dust's hand clotheslines him out of the chair gold dust bails out the ring again and walks off for a count out this I know I described it in fairly brief fashion, but this went for a fucking eternity. It was the worst pile of shite I've watched in a very, very long time. It was terrible. That's been nice. <laughs> oh, I've got, I've got more. <laughs> <laughs> he, the warrior then beats up the bodyguard, and I've just got in here two things I need to add in before I let you rant a little bit. Is first of all. This is the first one possibly ever, but definitely in a long time, that's going to rate a full 10 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale for being completely shit, a waste of everybody's time. Um, 
the nine ninety nine or whatever we pay these days for the network, it still felt like a ripoff, knowing that I didn't have to watch this and I could have watched anything else. And for the first time ever, not only is this going to rate a 10 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale, but I'm giving the dick move of the week to whoever the fuck booked and approved this shit. You should be ashamed of yourself. Your family should be ashamed of you. <laughs> you have literally stolen time from thousands of people's lives. Fuck you. Well, don't forget, later on, when the um, advertisers, if you send your bill in, they'll give you a five-minute free phone card for a long-distance thing, which is only a third of the length of this match. <laughs> yeah, I uh, can just imagine that I'd use that five-minute phone card to call, <laughs> someone in, to call someone in another state, start describing this match, and then the cliffhanger, they'd have to wait till next time we spoke to find out what happened. Yeah. Oh, this was just absolutely... Terrible. What did, what did you think? It's obviously, the highlight of it is because Marlena's in it. I love Marlena. Um, nice. Just a waste of time. Um, Goldust came into the match injured, um, which they knew about. So why not just do a switch? Why not have him fight the bodyguard? Why not do a hundred different things compared to what he did now? Um, it made me laugh when he was fighting the bodyguard at the end and he, he meant to allude that he was going to gorilla press slam in and obviously thought better of it as he was never in a million years going to gorilla press slam that guy. Uh, it was horrendous. It was... But you can see why the Warriors' return was such a car crash when he when stuff like this um, immediately had an intercontinental title shot out of nowhere as well. Um, hundreds of things could have done differently apart from this. Minus five stars. <laughs> I mean, literally, in the, in the seconds you spoke then, I thought of straight away, Warrior comes in, annihilates Gold Dust in about 10 seconds, goes to make the pin, bodyguard hits him, beat up the bodyguard, crowd goes home happy. Two minutes, and then you can put that one, two, three kid Miro match on to fill some time, or give more time to one of the other matches, heaven forbid. But like, <laughs> how, hard is it to, how hard is it to come up with something better than this pile of shite? Exactly, they didn't do anybody any favours, to be honest. No one came out looking good. It just brought back horrible memories. I once, I once had a cigar burned out on my hand many moons really? ago. Yeah. It was when I was at when I was a nightclub and somebody and inconspicuous, I wasn't paying attention in the days when you could smoke in nightclubs. This is and somebody put somebody had a cigar and it went to my hand, a massive scar on my hand, and it stung like a bitch. So. Ah oh, fuck. Yeah, sympathies there. <laughs> we then. Um... We get a um, a bit of a video package showing... Well, not a video package. We, we throw to the back and see Doc Hendricks um, basically showing us a British Bulldog blowing up at Shawn Michaels' locker room door, which we'll come to find out all about when we get to Raw on the, the next evening. But for now, we're just uh, left to wonder why Bulldog is going mental at Shawn's door. Yeah. Got a nice, nice uh, sight of Tony Guerrero as well. 1996 well finest. And his lovely hair. <laughs> Oh, he has got a lovely head of hair. <laughs> and then we go to our next matchup, which is the final WWF appearance of the bad guy, Razor Ramon, taking on Vader in a match that I have completely wiped from my memory. I never realized, did not remember this ever happened. No, oh, no, I've got, um, because we showed the video package of destroying Yokozuna, I've got to see Yoko, next minute Razor's music hit, and I was like, huh? I went, and I thought, is this the imitation Razor? I'm pretty sure Razor's no. gone. And then he came out, and I was like, oh, right, okay. Yeah, I don't think we're alone in thinking that sort of Razor's 
um, blow off and giving up on the angle with gold dust was pretty much the end of him. But no, it was quite surprising to see that he did come back for one final pay per view match to um, job on the well, way to out. Get it... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, the match starts with him locking up and Vader tossing Razor Ramon straight over the top rope and then immediately beginning his beatdown. We get a nice short clothesline before Razor Ramon goes for that classic move, wrestling logic. He attempts the Razor's Edge with Vader right in front of the ropes. And as usual, he gets backdropped over the ropes. I've actually got to um, put this out to the, the wrestling universe, all the listeners of this show, is how come Razor doesn't get as much shit for going for the um, Razor's Edge next to the ropes as Ric Flair does for going up top? I at least saw Ric Flair nail a move from up top once in his career. Yeah, I guess Carlito, I saw it. <laughs> I did not remember who, I'm glad you had that one. Yeah, because it was when he won the Intercontinental title off him. He successfully went off the top rope, I believe. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> we get some punches from Razor, followed by a discus punch, um, which sends Vader down to the mat. Um, three clotheslines, including the last one, knocking him over the top rope. When they do get back into the ring, Vader hits a big ho-train attack, followed by a clothesline. And then... Um, Drops a really awkward-looking elbow under the legs of Razor Ramon before hitting him for a, with a big splash for a two-count. Razor comes back with a back suplex for a two-count. Vader then hits him with a Vader bomb for a two-count and a back suplex of his own. Razor hits a really nice vertical suplex for a two on Vader, which is pretty impressive power. Then a power slam for a two and a second-rope bulldog for a two. Vader goes up top, and Razor Ramon um, goes to hit him with a Razor's Edge, but his back gives out. Vader then hits him with a slam. Um, gets caught with an electric chair drop, but when he goes for the uh, racer's edge, another backdrop, and then a big bum splash <laughs> down on him for the one, two, three in a very abrupt ending. I've never seen Vader pin anyone with just sitting on their chest. No. Big bum drop, like it. Yeah, it's um, a move I would have expected to see Yokozuna pull out, but Vader, I didn't so much associate that with him because... You know, if he's going to hit you with all his weight, he'd generally do it from a little bit further north than a standing start. I know. It's, um, so, you know, going back to when he back body dropped him over the rope, he like hit the deck and got straight back in the ring. No hit of a cell there from Razor. Obviously, he wasn't going to do his job properly. Um, kicking out of a Vader bomb, which I thought was a bit okay. Like, surely with Vader, what they want to do with him, surely that would finish someone like Razor off. The electric chair drop was pretty sweet. I thought at one point he was going to actually, when he was going back, it looked like he was going to drop him on his head, but he recovered somehow on the way down. Uh, interesting bit during it on the commentary um, was talking about Razor Ramon accepting this match being a bad decision. And then he said, uh, oh, and then one of the commentators said, yeah, James Cornette says that Razor Ramon's making a lot of bad decisions lately. Like, oh, little dig there about what, obviously what he's doing. But yeah, it's quite for saying that what a Razor was on his way out. Match went longer than I thought. Razor got more. Well, I say more offense. He got some offense in that I didn't think it when Vader should have just steamrolled it over the top of him. But then, hey ho, in a bit, Razor. Yes. See you in about what four years time, six years time, I think. Yeah, ready for the only man to take two stunners in a row while without hitting the deck. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I th- this was all right. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Um, I-, I, like you, was a-, a little surprised that it wasn't a complete squash, but I was probably happy that it wasn't, to be fair. Razor's been a-, a stand-up character, and, you know, for all the talk of the trouble they caused in WCW, 
Um, I think the general consensus at this point in time was he just wanted to move up the card and wasn't going to be given the opportunity to do so here. So fair play to him for moving on. Hello, and with everyone, with Razor being on the show, we, uh, we have a full house on Click Bingo as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Doc Hendricks, however, doesn't let Jim Cornette and Vader enjoy their moment. He comes out to tell them that they're going to be facing the mass- massive and angry Yokozuna next month at the next pay-per-view. So they don't seem too impressed with that, but we're going to get a bit of a blow-off for that feud potentially next month. Yeah, they're the, the acting surprised, like, oh, no, like, why have we got him? Like, he literally broke his leg. <laughs> Did you not see him be taken off on the forklift? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably worse than the broken leg. Like, I had to be carried out on a forklift. Like, you've humiliated me, you bastards. Yeah. Someone following him with playing the tuba. <laughs> we then get... Paul Bearer and The Undertaker backstage at the LOL PCs um, dictating f- for some people to type through their thoughts. Like, and I just imagine there's a lot of how do I, how many H's do I put on the end of O and how many S's do I put on the end of Yes before I type this. <laughs> oh, God. And then we go to Todd Pettengale shilling some polo shirts. So very snazzy. I'm, you know, retroactively, I'd love to go back and get one of them. I think they'd look quite class- classy at an evening dinner, don't you think? Oh, yeah. So was it $39 or something? Yeah, something like that. It's bargain. Inflation, let's figure out. Oh, I've to see. <laughs> we then get a close-up on three guys with signs that say, Sable, uh, sorry, Sunny Sable Marlena, the six best reasons to watch the WWF. So Agreed. I'll let you put two and two together on that one. But yeah, I um, can't disagree. Um, yeah. Oh, did you hear the bit? Oh, yeah, I've, I've missed that bit. Uh, well, it showed Mark Miro... Um, have we had that bit when he's with Sable? We've not had that bit, have we? No, not yet. All right, okay. Forget it. (laughs) It it should come up soon. Yes. Basically, basically the king keeps calling her ugly. And you're like, well, fast forward two more years, you'll be slightly different then. I know, this was actually... You're right on that, because whenever I've gone back and watched sort of 96, 97 to very early 98, I could never get over Jerry Lawler acting like Sable was like a... um, I don't know, like some disfigured, yeah, <laughs> disgust, disgusting old woman. Whereas I just never got that. And then, as soon as she was a heel, she was the hottest thing on earth. Yeah, like, I should say she was disgusting. And then, yeah, I'll say two more years, you'll be full on erection mode commentating whenever she comes out. Oh, wait, wait till you hear the episode I'm editing at the moment, Heat and Thunder, and we'll talk about full on erection mode when Sable comes out. It's definitely part of that show. Oh, Heat and Thunder. <laughs> we then go to our second title contest of the evening it's the body donners defending their tag team titles up against the godwins in a feud that i hated when it happened i've hated when i've gone back and i still hate it now it's just i can't get into these two teams at all i've not even made a single note about this match <laughs> oh, i'll take over them because the godwins <laughs> get the get get the well-deserved jobber entrance i normally defend teams that get that but no they deserve it and um, Jerry Lawler actually cracked me up with his one-liner on Phineas. He says that, um, obviously, the storyline going on here is Phineas is, you know, smitten with Sonny. Can't blame him, but, you know, talk about punching above your weight. That's a very de- dictionary definition of it. Um, Jerry Lawler says that he couldn't get a date on a tombstone. <laughs> the Godwins spit in their hands and shake hands before the match. Dirty fuckers. Um, and then... Um, the body donors get a double team on Henry. Henry hits a double clothesline. Phineas comes in and bites them. 
We get some shoulder blocks and a Death Valley driver um, from Henry, which is probably the coolest move of the match. And then we get some um, some more offense from Phineas as I turn the page on my notes, but I can't read. <laughs> and we get a double team on Phineas from the heels, a slingshot suplex for a two count, a snapmare from Skip and a Hurricane Rana for a two count before the hot tag to Henry who comes in and attacks both. Um, but this brings out, oh, sorry, this brings Sunny around to the face corner. Um, she gives Phineas a autographed picture of her, lots of love, Sunny, or something along those lines. This distracts her, uh, Phineas. In the ring, Henry hits a slop drop, but we get the old twin magic routine from the Bellas. I'm sorry, from the <laughs> from the Body Donners. And then that's enough to get a small package for the one, two, three. Um, and the, the um, Body Donners successfully defend their tag titles against the Godwins. Ultimate placeholder, basically just waiting for Billy Gunn to come back off his injury. At least they've been promoted from the WrestleMania pre-show onto the pay-per-view. This is obviously where that, this last, the last match between them was held. Um, if I could, um, if I could have anyone could splice instead of Sonny handing him a photo of Sonny, if she could splice him handing over a copy of her porno, I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Let let me work on that. Sunny <laughs> <laughs> side up. Oh dear. It just made me laugh when Jerry Lawler when he gave the picture and Jerry Lawler went, Oh, you should see the back of that photo as well. Well, that's not how photos work, Jerry Lawler. Whatever. <laughs> oh my god. He did he did have one more brilliant one liner in there though when he says that um Phineas got told by a hooker not on the first take. <laughs> Oh man, he, he was good on the Phineas put downs. I'll give him that. We then go to the um, aforementioned Mark Miro and Sable doing a promo with Doc Hendricks. I think you've got some notes on. I just wrote that it was shit. What did you think? Yeah, yeah it was. It was absolutely terrible. I, I, at one point, I thought my telly was broke because he just he whispered below a level that probably only a dog could hear. And then Jerry Lawler <laughs> was just saying like how ugly Sable was, and it just like just. Brought a chuckle knowing, like, obviously, what the Jerry Lawler that we get in the future. It was all very nonsensical. I know it was all going for wild, man, but it was, it was, it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> we then get a hype video for the main event, Sean and Diesel. Um, we see Sean's promo from the free for all and Diesel's promo. I thought Diesel's promo work through this feud has actually been really, really good. Um, I think it's definitely helped build Sean as a credible main event babyface, which was something that probably, you know, after winning the title from beloved Bret Hart, he really needed a good first opponent. And I think Diesel's actually done a really solid job, um, despite the fact that Sean hasn't always helped Diesel in the same way. But um, yeah, I've definitely been a big fan of Diesel in the build up to this. What did you think about the build up? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, obviously, it just goes to show that obviously Brett, when Brett won the title, then the fuse that he went on to were all pretty dog, pretty dog shit. Sean comes out of his win at the Ironman and gets straight to a feud with Diesel. So it's like starting off on a better foot already than Brett's previous title reign. Um, I say the good thing about good storytelling in regards to Sean and Diesel is it, they've always they can always feud. They, like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn these days, they can be friends. They had a simple thing and boom, you've got a feud again. Doesn't seem to ever really get boring. Doesn't seem to get tired because you just swap it. One minute Sean was the bad guy and Diesel's the bad, the good guy and then vice versa. It's, um, no, it's good. I mean, it, it's a, it's a storyline between two people that worked well for the whole duration since Diesel 
his inception into WWF slash WWE. To like to him leaving now, there's always they've always could just bring them back at the click of a finger. Yeah, I agree completely. A bit like Rock and Triple H a few years down the line as well, or Rock and Austin. You know, definitely these are money feuds that always deliver when you when you come back to them. Yeah. But the main event is, as we've mentioned now, Shawn Michaels defending his world heavyweight title against Diesel in a no holds barred contest. Diesel continues this weird little side feud he's got going on with Vince by throwing his vest at him during the entrances. And Sean comes out with Jose rubbing him up a little bit. I don't know why I wrote it like that. It wasn't sexual in any way. <laughs> but yes, Jose's rubbing Sean on the walkout. Um, Sean tosses his gear during the walk, gets immediately into the ring, and we get a slugfest right away. Um, and then... Sean drop kicks Diesel out of the ring and hits him with a baseball slide and a cross body block from the top rope to the arena floor to get this match started hot, hot and heavy. Yeah, straight away for the one millionth time, I asked myself, why is Jose Nefario there? <laughs> Literally the biggest waste of time in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just... Um, yeah, throwing, throw, let's say, going back to throwing the T-shirt to Vince because he promised him before that he he had something for him. So he threw his T-shirt off him. Nice little touch. Um, one thing I wondered um, is why, obviously, with how Vince and his hatred, why would allow a match to be called a no holds barred match, given the Hulk Hogan um, implications that it comes with? Obviously, they made that film no holds barred, and you would have thought he would have had that changed. Yeah, this should be called something completely different to make sure Hogan gets no recognition. Yeah, I just thought it just popped to me head. I was like, hang on a minute, why would he allow this? This is a Hogan film, like. <laughs> just to give you everyone an example of how much my mind can wander during any one time, as soon as you said Jose Lothario was, was completely useless, I just immediately started thinking of scenarios where he could have been of some use. And the first two things that popped into my head were Jose, Th- Jose Lothario could have been the Raw Anonymous GM. And Jose Lothario could have been the one <laughs> unveiled to have run over Stone Cold at Survivor Series 99. I have no idea why I thought of that, but I did. <laughs> Imagine if, Di- if it actually came out that Diana had sex with, went to the back to have sex with Jose Lothario. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <clears throat> I wish we'd thought of this in advance. Things Jose could have done more useful. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, actually, he could have been responsible for GTV. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jose, we've, we've definitely got better things for you to be doing, buddy. <laughs> than being sure Michael's uh, cheerleader. <laughs> uh, speaking of um, things we've got people a better use for, we have Shaw Michaels taking off Hugo Savanovich's boot, and he comes off the top rope and nails Diesel with it for a two count uh, before doing his patented corner flip on the bump to the, the turnbuckles. Gets knocked off the apron to the guardrail by Diesel, and... When we get back in, Diesel hits a nice short clothesline, snake eyes, and a huge sidewalk slam that drew audible oohs and ahs from the crowd. We then get Diesel knocked down Earl Hebner and steals his belt and starts whipping Shawn Michaels with it, chokes him with it, and hangs him over the top rope by the belt. That was a pretty violent spot, that one. Yeah, they certainly amping the, the levels of violence are slowly starting to creep up. Well, from both shows and like stuff like this, like with the belt and whatever, um, grabbing bits and bobs and the destruction with this match, it's definitely the turning the volume up on the um, the hardcore aspect of matches. 
definitely. And Vin Diesel gets a chair and nails Sean to the back with it twice. Um, misses a third one and bounces off the ropes and hits himself in one of the most comical moves in the history of wrestling. Love that spot. <laughs> we get a low blow from Diesel and then a back body drop before he jackknifes Shawn Michaels through a table at ringside. Um, this was like a, an old plane table with an eight, with like a, um, a cover over it. And the monitors just land on Sean as well. So this is before the days of wrestlers safely removing monitors to make sure you didn't get hit on the bump. This was a brutal table spot. I loved it. Yeah. Well, then obviously then we get pomp and circumstance from Diesel when he should have just thrown him in the ring and covered him. He just starts arsing about. Classic Diesel. Did that against Brett as well. Yeah, and allows Sean enough time to recover. And Sean comes out with a fire extinguisher. Um, he f- gets a big fight back to a bit of a mixed response. I think the crowd was starting to dig these a little bit here. So um, it was interesting that Sean didn't get a huge baby face pop on his big comeback to start with. No. <clears throat> he hits him with his patented flying forearm and kip up. Um, chair to the back of Diesel, then one to the head before eating a boot from Diesel. And we get a small but audible Diesel chant from the crowd. We get a elbow from Sean, and then Diesel blocks the kick and hits a clothesline. Clothesline Sean out of the ring, and Diesel gets a um, gets the fake leg off Mad Dog for Sean, <laughs> but Sean avoids it. Hits him with a low blow and gets a leg himself. Nails Diesel in the head, and then hits Sweet Chin Music for the one, two, three. And in classic Shawn Michaels fashion, can't help but mouth off at the crowd that didn't give him that didn't give him their full support during the match. Yeah, it was a, a pop. Well, main note is uh, Michael's at the end. Um, very odd behaviour. You go, you see Diesel walk off, and you see kind of like Earl Hefner falling out of the rings. So it's like, did he get, did Sean throw him out or whatever? Is he slipped? You don't really see that. Um, pulls a Hogan pose briefly, and then did the Scott Hall pose. Obviously, he just I don't know. He seemed to go off a proper go Marty at the end of that for. No, well, I couldn't really. Obviously, you're, you're saying from the audience reception or whatnot. I think it was just because he knew also what was going on. Obviously, with Diesel going, Scott Hall going. I'm not saying the ran- he did the random Hogan muscle pose. It was all very, very odd at the end. Yeah, I think we we just saw some proper stroppy Shawn Michaels where um, things didn't go all completely the way he wanted them to. So he, he showed his ass a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Not the way, not literally the way he would do many, many times later on. But yeah, um, I, you know what, I've, I've got to be honest. I have really good memories of this match from seeing it years gone by. It probably wasn't the absolute classic that I remembered it to be, but it was still a really good match. And if you haven't seen this match, it's definitely well worth watching. Did you enjoy it as much as I did? I enjoyed it. It was I would, what you would say it's a very ahead of its time match in the time where you're watching... It's very paint by numbers. Then this this match appears. It stands out a bit. It would have been nice if they would explain why Bad Dog of Sean was at ringside or that he had a fake leg. But that's by the by. Rather than just doing that, I mean, it just took a little like what they do now when they show people at ringside. It would have just taken that just to explain or something. And then Jerry Lawler quip about him having a fake leg. But hey ho. Um, no, it was good. it was good. It was obviously it was the highlight of this card. It basically figured. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, if it wasn't if it wasn't for this match, then I would be angrily asking for my money back. Um, <laughs> well, nineteen dollars of it. Uh, but no, it was good. I mean, Diesel, Diesel, with knowing what was going on, he seemed to up his his workmanship in the ring. Um, 
he could have just gone out and been Kevin Nash, but he wasn't. He was he was Diesel. He did his fair share, made Shaw look good, himself look good. Like I say, his mic work's been exemplary building up to it. He was obviously trying to show off because he wanted to make an impression of his future employers and to show what he could actually do. So, no, it was good. I find it um, a little bit sort of sad. I mean, obviously things boomed by these guys leaving, but Diesel's best character work was when he'd already decided to leave. Like the stuff he did in these last few months, like the feud with, with Brett, the feud with The Undertaker and the feud with Sean was by far my most enjoyable moments of Diesel's entire WWF run. Yeah. So it's un- unfortunate that they didn't let the shackles off him a little bit earlier when they could still use him to make money. Definitely. But um, what are your overall thoughts on this pay-per-view? Oh, I just, like I surmised, it was it was not very good. Saved by the main <laughs> event. Um, you think you look at the people who are on the card, the people who weren't on the card, no Undertaker, you had just had him backstage for no reason whatsoever. We had Mankind rolling around. You had Stone Cold Steve Austin rolling around. I mean, these all, what can believe, are looking at it, all that dark matches afterwards. It's just a classic, you, why would you have that tag match when you've got that, that calibre of people sat in the back not doing anything? Um, the tag match at the start was absolutely awful. Like I messaged you saying, it's hard to believe in the match between Bulldog and Owen versus Jake and Ahmed and the two people are dead are the Bulldog and Owen and not... Jake and Ahmed Johnson, which absolutely blows my mind. Um, it's like a hundred other things could have been different with Goldust Warrior that we went on. Vader was good. I would have probably liked to have seen that been a bit more dominant. Tag match, I didn't even make notes. That's how forgettable it was. And then saved by the main event. It wasn't an offensive pay-per-view. It was a here's two hours of wrestling and done kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought overall, like the main, you're a hundred percent right. The main event saves this show. I think really the the one gripe you can have is if you're going to give us that Ultimate Warrior Gold Dust farce, everything else needs to be top notch. You can't give us that shit and still expect us to sit through the Body Donners and the Godwins on the same night. No, definitely. Like, you've got to step up your game. And you're right, like Miro and One Two Three Kid on the pre-show definitely could have been on this show and made it better. Undertaker could have been on this show and made it better. But, you know, this was kind of the in-your-house concept at the time where they didn't put all the stars on and they charged you a lesser price. But, yeah, I mean, there's no matter what kind of show you're putting it on, Ultimate Warrior and Gold Dust doesn't belong on any card anywhere in the world. No. But aside from that, I, yeah, this was an easy watch and definitely worthwhile. So I've got one final question before we actually get into the meat and bones and um, compare Raw and Nitro. Seeing what we've seen so far, you've been watching all the pay-per-views with me, um, do you think WCW, had they had a show this month, would have beaten this? Uh, to be honest, and then I mean, it's kind of what... I had to kind of jog my brains of what was going on with WCW. It's been a while. And at the time, I think WCW was in such a limbo, such a transitional period, such as the WWE. I don't think, I think they both probably would have been on par. They were both kind of stuck in this middle of nowhere. They were just coming off Sean, starting his title run, and everything just kind of just trying to move things around and see what works. And WCW was similar. I mean, Hulk Hogan was on his, was on his way out to go and film his movie. So they were kind of like they'd lost all that kind of thing, didn't really know what they were doing. I don't think. I don't think it would have been a stellar pay-per-view, to be perfectly honest. They wouldn't have done anything exciting. Because obviously they're, like like they're, they're looking ahead to... They're well aware they've got Scott Hall and Kevin Nash coming through the door. So they're just, they're just waiting for that now. 
<laughs> I um I think the um only way they could have possibly gotten close to this would have been a amazing Ric Flair Randy Savage match. Looking at like looking at the feuds they've got going on, I mean Lex Luger and Sting would have done something interesting. Hogan probably would have buried someone. <laughs> and outside of that, there's nothing else going on in WCW that made me think they could live up to this Sean and Diesel match. But potentially they might not have put anything on as bad as Goldust and Warrior 2, so who knows? I think out the, the controversial hot topic we'll come to later, I don't think, I think there was a better match than the Sean Diesel from what on the Raw and Nitros that we're going to watch, to be honest. Oh, interesting. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing your take on that then. So <laughs> before we go over, I actually want to debut a new segment on the show, which I probably should have talked to you about ahead of time, but you know what I'm like when it comes to preparation. Right. Um, <laughs> I think we just need to have like a little interlude between the shows is something I've been doing every week now. Um, and I had a name for it and guess what? I've forgotten what the name for the segment was. So this is off to a really stellar start. <laughs> um, I want to um, get either myself or my guests on every show now to talk about a forgotten piece of wrestling merchandise that they may have owned at one point. Um, so do you have anything that you can think of off the top of your head, wrestling merchandise of any description you've owned at some point in your life that you fondly or not so fondly remember? Um, well, when I had, um, through my teenage years and my love of the rock, I had a rock t-shirt and rock baseball cap that came in a combo. It was a layer Ooh. smack us down with the Brahma bull on the front and the hat. Um, which I would often rock into school with a pair of tracksuit bottoms and the t-shirt, akin to his look of when he went through his casual, just had his boob job look. <laughs> and, Did um, you have the sideburns? Yeah, to yeah. I'll, uh, I'll happily um, dig out a photo and send you a photo of my rock sideburns that I was rocking at the time. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were meaty. But yeah, no, I, I wore that t-shirt to death to the point where the Brahma ball just eventually washed off. It got washed and used that many times. And obviously now, if you just open my, um, if you open my wardrobe now, it's now just 75% wrestling t-shirts. I've still never grown up. Uh, <laughs> my birthday the, uh, in July, I, got, I finally got an NWO t-shirt. Nice. Yeah. So I wore that like a proper mark. I want. I really want. I saw it the other day on Twitter. Um, the NWO knockoff shirt that they're selling in New York at the moment. That's got NYC instead. I love the look of that shirt. Yeah. I. Uh, I think my biggest regret is I always wanted a Nexus T-shirt and never got one of them. I'm the same with the DX jersey. Oh no. no I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking. I was a Nation of Domination kid. You know, he was either Nation or he was either DX. I was Nation. Oh, I was definitely dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, that Nexus T-shirt. Um, <laughs> I got four new retros for Father's Day last week. I got Bray Wyatt, Shinsuke Nakamura, Daniel Bryan, and Wolfpack Sting. So I was quite impressed with that haul. Yeah, not jealous at all. <laughs> and I've, I've got a couple over here waiting to bring to you as well. So, you know, that's got to get me something. <laughs> There's a good thing over here. There's like a, um, this is off topic slightly, but there's a, like a B and M, which is kind of like a poor man's target. They sell everything, and they've, they're selling like the elite figures at the minute, but they're only about eight pound. 
Nice. So, and so like the retail, like one, I was in there yesterday, they had like a Warlord one, Brutus the Beefcake with the scissors and everything. Like, they, you sell them on for about 20 odd quid plus from the people who collect them. Nice. I, I spent ages looking for that Warlord figure before I finally found it over here. One of my favourites, that one. Yeah. I loved it. I loved the old, the Warlord Hasbro from back in the day was a favourite as well. Oh, most deaf. Well, that is our new segment yet to be named. If you've got a suggestion for the name of this segment, please hit me up before I attempt to remember what I had written down for it earlier in the week. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, be forewarned if you're coming on the show, you better have some memorabilia memories. Oh, that's a good name, isn't it? Memorabilia memories. <laughs> Memo- memorabilia. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's brilliant. That's a genius. <laughs> and I'll, I'll always have a backup story in case someone forgets, but... New little segment. We're going to break up the, the shows with that from now on. Um, now we're going to head over to Raw and see what they've got to offer. Oh, did you watch Raw first or Nitro? Yeah, I watched Raw first. Fantastic. Let's do it then. We opened the show with the footage that we talked about earlier on the pay-per-view with the Bulldog trying to get into Shawn Michaels' locker room. And now Lawler and Vince fill us in on what's going on. They tell us that Cornette's going to expose Shawn Michaels as a home wrecker, which is completely true. They just have the wrong couple. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mankind and Bart Gunn is going to be our opening contest. And have you ever, ever heard of a match that screams you know, transition between new gen and attitude era more than this. No. Mankind, as was his style at the time, hits some strikes and pulls out his own hair, but then eats the post um, with his shoulder trying to charge at Bart Gunn. This allows Bart to go under the arm and somewhere along the lines, Mankind has been busted open over his eye very early and we have no idea how that happened. It's not really spoken about, so it may have been an accidental cut possibly. Yeah, I'd have put that. Who's ble- At first it was who's bleeding and then you see it on his face and it, to, to begin with, it looks like he like, it looked like wall paint, like he'd painted it on himself. It was highly confusing. I mean, and then I don't know how much more blood... Blood watch you've got, but towards the end of it, it makes Bart look like he's on his period when he's on the back of his <laughs> all over his jeans. <laughs> oh, that is unfortunate. But <laughs> <laughs> well, then, classic. This is the this is the difference between McFoley and your bog standard Bart Gunn when he realises bleeding from his head, and then just keeps smashing it on things to make the bleeding worse. <laughs> Good old Mick, who I met very recently. I think I've already spoken about it on the show. But yeah. There you go. A wrestler that I have met. Mankind attempts a mandible claw and Bart Gunn bails out. Uh, They brawl along the outside for a little bit. Mankind hits a slam and misses an elbow before Bart Gunn goes back to the arm. Mankind hits a baseball slide, um, knocking Bart Gunn from the inside of the ring to the outside, which is quite cool. And that is our cue to go to our first commercial break of the show. 
When we come back, Mankind hits a knee in the corner and a guillotine leg drop over the bottom rope. Uh, headbutt, um, sorry, headbutts the rail on purpose, as you spoke about earlier, trying to get that busted eye really, really bleeding. Uh, Bart Gunn also tries to help him out with some big left hands to the head. Goes up top and hits a missile drop kick for a two, a slam and a top rope elbow for a two. Um, and then gets mounts Mankind and hits him with some more punches. But Mankind gets the mandible claw sort of from the back position um, with blood all over his fingers, which I find quite disgusting. And picks up the win um, in a match that was pretty good for an opener on Raw, but was a bit like Razor and Vader on the pay-per-view, a little bit too even for my liking. Yeah, definitely. The note I've got, I mean, it made one of my notes is... Is Bart Gordon greatly underrated or what? Because, I mean, he seems he's got a lot of offence. Obviously, his punch is good, as we learn to as we learn in the future anyway. Um, I'd say he's got a lot more inf- uh, offence in than would be normal. Um, what have we got? I think it's just it's, it's nice to sit back, and this is the thing, you put, you're watching Mankind as the character Mankind, not as... Mick Foley, which made a pleasant change, because obviously you're used to seeing Mick Foley Mankind, not this is Mankind, this is this person, this is this character, this personality, which was nice to, nice for a change to watch, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Um, and he got some good character work in not long after this, because JR attempts to interview Bart Gunn about how the mandible claw felt in the back, and you could see it coming a mile away. Mankind comes in and puts it on him again, so we all get a really good look, and we're told that he is paralysed by the claw as we go to our next commercial break. Yeah, I thought, Bob, well, you said it was obvious what was happening. I thought it was just a nice way of selling the mandible claw, because obviously towards he's just put his finger in his mouth. It's like, why don't you bite him? But him saying it just paralyses you and whatnot, and then next minute... He came and beat him up for no reason. Poor Bart. Yeah, I know. So What's he done to deserve this? Yeah, then obviously when Billy comes back, we get when the smoker comes, come down and take out mankind. Oh, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would make too much sense. No, oh, curses. God damn you, fantasy booking. <laughs> we then go to our next matchup, which is Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Scotty Too Hottie. Although neither man have really adopted those true personas as of yet. We also get Savio Vega coming out to join the commentary team, and I just write here, this should be fucking riveting. Yeah, I've just got sake, it's Savio. <laughs> we get a replay of Austin costing Savio Vega the Intercontinental title, and the world rejoices and thanks him for doing so. <laughs> <laughs> and Scotty Too Hotty at this point in time looks like Richard Simmons in a Steiner Brother costume. It's pretty pathetic. Nice, Richard Simmons. A few people will be Googling <laughs> that one. Indeed. <laughs> um, Austin with some boots and a vertical suplex before Savio challenges him to a strap match on commentary. Austin with a big swing and JR tells, um, sorry, Jerry Lawler calls Savio Vega, Savio, I cannot talk today. Jerry Lawler calls Savio Vega burrito breath in a little bit of um, not so subtle racism there on commentary. No. Austin hits a second rope elbow followed by a back elbow. Um, Jerry Lawler is absolutely punking out Savio Vega on commentary to the point where Vince has to get between them and stop Savio firing up. But because Vince won't let them be physical, Savio's just getting owned by Lawler on the mic. It's great. It was a highlight for saying when you thought when Savio was coming out to commentary, he was like, oh, but then like say Jerry Lawler roasts him for the entire time. <laughs> Every time I see Savio Vega, I have two thoughts immediately. One why the? What did they see in Savio Vega? And two, why the fuck did Mark get a shirt with Savio Vega's <laughs> picture on it? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> 
in the ring. Austin locks on an STF and then the million dollar dream. And just like that, it's all over. Um, unlike the move, which is definitely not over because the crowd didn't care whatsoever. Um, Savio Vega then gets on the house mic and challenges Austin to a strap match. Ted waves it off, but Savio Vega gets in and whips Austin. And we seem to get an agreement that this match is going to happen as we go out to another commercial break. It's weird watching, go back, it's weird watching Stone Cold do the big swing. Yeah. Not very Austin offense. Um, pretty hard, I'd say, harmless, harmless match, did its job. Set up a strap match between Stone Cold and Savio. Yay. Yeah, can't wait for that one. What a feud. <laughs> when we come back from the commercial, it's time to get some storyline meat on the bone here. It's Vince McMahon with Jim Cornette, the British Bulldog, and Diana. And they bring out Sean. And wherever Sean goes, Jose goes at this point in time. Yeah. So if they want to know whether or not Sean and Diana slept together, they should just ask Jose. <laughs> <laughs> Jose, do you do you do you know if Diana has any birthmarks that we're not aware of? If you can point them out, we know whether he did the deed. Exactly. Jose's his fluffer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that gives new meaning to the on the pay per view when I said it. Jose comes out rubbing short. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is descending <laughs> to the pits quite rapidly. <laughs> Believe it, McMahon. Diana, do you have anything to say? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Sean, I know that you want me. What? He does. He wants every woman. Go after a snake if it had a skirt on. Mrs. Smith, with all due respect, Oh, that's about as sincere as flowers for March shot. Please, do not flatter yourself. Oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's trying to get off the hook now. Woo! I guess it's gone far enough. No, no. All right, King, take it away. What? Well, I guess we know. Who wears the pants in the Smith family? Get up, get up. Come on! And sorry, Jim Cornette says that he tried to sleep with Diana. Jim Cornette's brilliant at going at Shawn Michaels here. A bit like Lawler was eating up Savio on the mic. Jim Cornette's all over Shawn here. It's really good. Um, they show Diana being led to the back by a production guy on the pay-per-view. Um, Really cool, actually, because um, they they get good footage. Sort of, you know, when they can highlight one person in the crowd and show them moving. That was a, a really good production touch. I, I liked that. Um, and Cornette just is, is still going off on Sean. Uh, puts Diana and Sean eye to eye, and then Diana says to Sean, "Sean, I know that you want me." And Michaels ref, uh, replies with, "Don't flatter yourself," and gets a slap from Diana for his trouble. Um, this causes Sean to say that we all know who wears the pants in the Smith family and Bulldog's heard enough and they get into it with a big pull apart, which is just, this is a really good segment. I enjoyed this. What did you think? No, it was good. Everyone bar Diane, Diana, played their parts well. I've seen more like a prawn <laughs> than Diane Hart. <laughs> um, I just, 
I couldn't get over the Vince fanboying over Sean the whole time and whatnot, his face and everything. And those two, those two definitely fucked. Just, <laughs> the whole time he's just like, you can see the like smiles on his face and whatever. It's like, God, Vince, put it down. Oh, it's just, it's just very odd to just, it was very good. It's just a very odd positioning to just splice it in the middle when surely you'd either, well, raw now that I start with it or finish with it to try and get you ready for the next, well, I'm going to watch Raw next week, so I want to see what's going on here, rather than in the middle. And then, but then obviously, then this segues into the next bit. Without it being in the middle, we wouldn't have got the brilliant Sean Ginetti interaction that we had. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Can you, I, I can't help but think when you're talking about Vince creaming himself over Sean, can you imagine if Vince was still on commentary today with Roman Reigns? Oh, dear. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. <laughs> and um, yeah, as you say, we get some interaction here between Sean and Marty because the new Rockers come out to take on the Godwins, um, which is just yeah a match that nobody was excited for. No, it was Janetti. just goes past. It was Leaf who made me laugh because Leaf was there, like, trying to interact with him as he went past, and then Jerry Lawler saying he preferred this version of the Rockers, which made me <laughs> chuckle a little bit. And then, obviously, yeah, just kind of like... Leaf Cassidy was brilliant, I thought, in this. I think he plays his goofy role really well. Okay, then I kind of did what you did. And then I just drifted off. And imagine imagine if the Godwins could be in the Wyatt family, like with that kind of Godwins. And I was like, oh, that'd be amazing compared to this. <laughs> Squeal like a pig. <laughs> Bray Wyatt with the Godwins. I was like, oh, wow. The dream team. Yeah. Because when the Godwins Bray Wyatt's were, been pu- go on. When the Godwins were were healed, they were the sinister like you got to prune them off, which they should have been. But Bray Wyatt's been posting a lot of cryptic Twitter messages lately about people betraying him and teaching him, and you know, broken relationships could be a call up for the Godwins here. It's not too late. <laughs> I Wait, thought I'm going to put him back with Braun, to be honest. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting. Because I thought, because Rowan's on the shelf, I thought they were just, well, straight away, boom, White comes back, Harper moves over, and you've got the White family back to fight the Shield with Braun not being a big silent monster. But alas, they decided to put him with Drew and Dolph. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, and then we're kind of like, what's, what's Bray going to do? Hmm. Time will tell, but it's definitely not Manage the Godwins because that gig is taken by a hillbilly gym. You don't go messing with a country boy. <laughs> we get we get an inset promo from Sonny bagging out on both teams and lots of stalling to start the match. Um, I, I always talk about flicking on the um, the little search bar on the network and looking how long the matches go for if, if I think it's going to be atrocious and half the match bar is up before they've really locked up, so... Um, it's just yeah, not good at all. No, no, it's, it's deceiving because you forget that like it's only an hour show, and yeah, you get the time bomb and you see how far the circles are apart, and you have the mini like, oh my god, it's going to be forever. But you're like, oh, no, I've got a minute. It's part of an hour, not part of the three two hours that we're used to. A couple of times yeah. I fell for that, like, oh no, it's, what have I got? Like a four hour bloody Steiner Brothers Fire and Ice match, but no, I haven't. <laughs> and when there's no real action going on because they're stalling, and you've you know, you've got a podcast to record, so you can't just say New Rockers versus Godwins, nothing happened, 
drop kick one, two, three or some shit like that. You've got to find something to talk about. So my real query for this one was, can you believe in a match that features Hillbilly Jim, the country boy, and the quite, you know, questionable Godwins taking on a different tag team, that it's that the incest would actually come from the other side of the ring? Yeah. Marty Jannetty, of course, you know, famously on Twitter, mentioned that he may have wanted to sleep with his daughter so you know <laughs> the, the godwins are not the ones with the incest in this in this exchange no. <laughs> well we get some moves it's a drop toe hold from marty and an arm drag a uh, double team on phineas before phineas fights back some more stalling and then sunny comes out for the first pop of the match because no one gave a shit before then phineas goes on both after a very cold tag but sunny manages to incite a four-man brawl and a double count out which benefits the body donors because apparently the number one contender for the tag titles was going to come from this match but now they've neither of them have won that's no good and we go from there backstage to jr and mankind explaining the effectiveness of the mandible claw so you were right on the money earlier that's definitely what they're getting at here and i'm assuming like me you thought the mandible claw explanation was far more interesting than this matchup yeah i thought well i thought jr was going to get mandible claw to be honest so did I. It wouldn't have been a um, JR backstage promo without him being either set on fire, attacked, or beat up. Yeah, or have had something pulled out of his rectum. Yeah, or Bart Gunn running down and getting some revenge. <laughs> <laughs> You're dying for this um, Guns and Mankind feud. Yeah, those were £40 jeans he played on, you jackass. <laughs> Maybe the Outlaws take a tag title reign away from Mankind at one point. They might they might get some sort of family revenge. Yeah. And then we go to a interesting footnote in Raw history. It's the Ultimate Warrior's first ever match on Monday Night Raw. Following his pay-per-view classic since his 1996 return, what would we follow up with on Raw? It is the Ultimate Warrior taking on Isaac Yankem DDS in what is sure to be a five-star classic. The fact that going back, when that Mankind promo was going on, they started to pipe in Isaac Yankum's music. So for a little bit, I was like, are they putting music to this to this segment? And I was like, oh no, it's Isaac Yankum and his horrendous entrance music. It's right up there with one of the worst. And should you notice during his entrance, he doesn't look like a happy camper. I'm not talking like a heel snarl. He looks like, oh, do I have to do this shit? Yeah. <clears throat> the Warrior does get a good pop from the crowd, which clearly didn't watch the pay-per-view the night before. <laughs> and a really big Warrior chant. Um, Jerry Lawler is sort of somewhat in the, um, Isaac Yankum's corner while still providing commentary, which is a little bit weird. We have a shoulder block and a clothesline from the Warrior, and then he tosses Isaac Yankum out before we go to a commercial break. We come back, and the Warrior is hulking up, hits three clotheslines, a tackle, and a splash for a three in an absolute squash match. Yeah, dud. Yeah. 
Lawler on the outside threatens to get in and tangle with the Warrior, but ultimately doesn't. And we're told next week we're going to see Owen Hart taking on The Undertaker, which I'm very excited for. And that is all for Monday Night Raw. What did you think? It was an easy hour to sit and watch. It was, um, started off with a good match. It wasn't, like I say, it wasn't offensive. You could sit there and watch it, know what was going to happen. Um, a Warrior Lawler feud out of nowhere. Bit random, like literally, we're not going to address the gold situation at all now. Like, yeah, you're feeding with Jerry Lawler now for no reason whatsoever. Um, yeah, no, it was all right. Um, Mankind Barkle match being the highlight. Uh, it's always nice to see Stone Cold pop up and just think what is to come. It, the Shawn Michaels interview. And Bulldog interview was nicely executed, and then it just kind of went, the show went up, and then pfft, crash break back down with the Rockers, Godwins, and Isaac Warrior. Well, you can't have it all. Yeah, it definitely fizzled out a little bit there, didn't it? Yeah. Well, that's Raw over and done with in the bag, so should we head over and see if Nitro can do a better effort than that? Indeed. starts out with our usual commentary team of Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Steve Mongo McMichael. And all the talk in the opening segment is of Ric Flair versus a giant for the World Heavyweight Championship, which is a bit of a cool contrast and clash of styles and something I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Pepe dressed up again. Always nice to see. Obviously, we're not that far, oh. we're not that far away from Mongo moving off the commentary, thank God into wrestling don't thank god no i'm the opposite i think mongo should have stayed on commentary forever he's far more entertaining on the mic than he was in the ring (sighs) i think it's pretty terrible to eat both (laughs) yeah but one made me laugh the other made me watch bad wrestling (laughs) (laughs) one decided to do a two-step power driver And we actually open up with a title match as well. It's Harlem Heat challenging Sting and Lex Luger for the tag titles. And Sting and Lex Luger in this time period have quietly become a favourite act of mine. I, obviously being a WWF fan, who was extremely loyal and never watched any WCW. Like, I'm talking once or twice ever did I watch WCW TV and I was once gifted four or five WCW pay-per-views on VHS. And outside of that, I literally never watched it while it was running. Um, But this is something I'm a bit upset that I missed out on because Sting and Lex have been a favourite act of mine. Yeah, I mean, all the times we reviewed it, well, Lex Luger more than Sting. Lex Luger's playing his character brilliantly. Just showed what how wasted he was back in the old WWE. Obviously, didn't use him correctly because WCW might have managed to. To manage to turn chicken shit into a chicken salad with him, to be honest. Most deaf. Um, during the entrances as well, the whitest crowd in the history of the human race dances to Harlem Heat's music, and it's quite comical. Oh, yeah, this um, 
but to go to the whitest crowd and the the, the element, the racist element of WCW rearing an ugly head at the end, which we'll get into. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, we get the um, really hot crowd before it starts. Sting's playing to the crowd quite well. When the match does get underway, we have an axe kick, axe kick by Booker T. And then a huge running shoulder block by Sting, a slam and an elbow for a two count. Stevie Ray comes in and they double team on Lex for a while. Uh, we get a double clothesline from Sting and Luger. And then Sting hits a drop kick before we go out to our first commercial. When we come back, Booker T hits a sidewalk slam, misses an elbow, and Spinneroonie's back up out of it before the Spinneroonie was a big thing and hits a huge jumping back kick, which was quite cool. Stevie Ray hits a pump kick for two, and then the hot tag to Lex comes in and clotheslines both members, hits a power slam, which Booker T saves from, and we get Harlem Heat with a nice combo power bomb with an elbow off the top. Um, but Jimmy Hart comes in and throws in the towel, which is a little bit weird. Um, that distracts everybody and allows Sting to pick up a roll up one, two, three in a good match with a bit of a strange twist at the end. Uh, yeah, I so, say uh, the ending was very was ruined. What was an all right match? Uh, going back to the, uh, the 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 racism of the two white guys um, getting one over on the two black fellas, and then when they showed you know, so when they showed the replay of it, it was sponsored by the Great White Hype, which made me <laughs> <laughs> made me like oh, laugh more than it should have. <laughs> that is, that is some funny irony put in there. Indeed. Well, it can't be a bit of unintentional irony. Oh, it's good. Um, it's nice that um, Sting and Lex are willing to... Because we, we're used to... Before this, Sting and Lex were starting to get into the steamrolling over people. But they gave Heat 50-50 of the offence. They shared it equally. It's just a classic, like, Booker T do a, what would class a finishing move, then start jaw-jacking or showing off, which he did a lot of at this time. Um, just all, literally all... You, Coventry just talking about the upcoming pay-per-view and the lethal lottery and all the tag teams seem to be against each other and split up and all this. Um, but no, it was good. I mean, it was, it's like literally the first match on the WCW, Heat versus Sting and Lex Luger is more star-studded than anything that was on Raw. Um, so yeah, it was nice to start off with. Like, I think pretty much all every match was a treat in regards to the star names involved on it, bar fire and ice. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is definitely a decent match. Um, good opening contest. Um, solid tag team action, action, and solid solid tag team action. Easy for me to say. Apparently, um, is continued into the next bout because you're right. It's fire and ice taking on the Steiner brothers. Um, this not um fire and ice. Obviously, not someone I really have many memories of at all. So, but everybody's talking about fire and ice. As was told on commentary, everybody's talking about these guys. Apparently so. I must have missed that memo. (laughs) When we get started, Ice Train hits a power slam and an avalanche before Rick Steiner comes in and hits a German suplex, which is fucking impressive considering the the size of the guys in this match. Yeah. Um, They both tag out. Scott Steiner hits a T-bone suplex and an overhead belly-to-belly off the top rope. This is fucking... Fucking awesome. The suplexes the Steiners can throw on anybody is just brilliant. Yeah, I've got um, nearly died on a German suplex. <laughs> Shit, I'm starting to get frightened. This is a potato fest. Oh, yeah. Um, so Scotty comes off the top rope and is caught by um, Scott Norton and hit with a press slam, which was just hugely impressive. Um, 
we get Ice Train with a hip toss and a big boot and a press slam of his own. All four men come in, and Rick Steiner hits a Steiner line and picks up the one, two, three with a really shitty end to what was building into a really good power match. I would have liked to have seen these guys just beat the shit out shit out of each other for 10 minutes, but instead we got a really abrupt ending, which looked a little bit botched, like it wasn't timed properly. What did you think? Yeah, I thought, well, like, I agree. It was basically, it wasn't, it wasn't a match where one team, like, like the opening match, it, it was 50-50 offense, and they were literally just beating the living shit out of each other, and it was basically going to be a case of the first person to do something where someone can stay down for longer than three seconds is going to win this. Because um, you like literally just before the starting line, you had Scott Norton with some brilliant clotheslines, and then he finished off with a shit, well, not a shit-looking clothesline, but not a good-looking clothesline, and Ice Train literally pinned, and then stood straight up, like, almost immediately. It was like um, Legion of Doom level of um, selling there. <laughs> um, but no, like, it was about, I think it's time about three minutes, 45, when I could have quite happily watched another five, six minutes of it. Yeah, definitely. I think something I missed as well, going back to the opening match, um, and some at WCW fails, I think, at this point. There's, they don't recap anything. Like obviously, in Raw, we had a recap of the night before. This is what this storyline. So, at the end, of the, with the towel throwing in, it made no sense if you did watch it. Because we don't watch it. Something that happened on Saturday night, I believe. But we don't know that. Do you know what I mean? People at home don't know that. It would have been nice to have known that. Even just like a little inset thing, a little mention. So, that happened. It's like, what's this about? But that's... I just remember, I just saw it as we moved on. No, I agree completely. Um, the this is this is where the WWF's production department gets them bonus points most weeks, and they normally win that category because they're on on top of stuff like that. Like we talked about on Raw, the um the little camera that catches Diana being ushered out of the crowd while the match is going on, sort of in the foreground is is a really cool, nice little touch that helps you keep up with the storyline. So you're right. This is something WCW will get better at and then much worse at later <laughs> on. But um, at this point in time, they're still not quite there. No. It's a shame, really. Definitely. Coming out of that match, we go to Mean Gene Oakland, who's with Ric Flair. And Gene Oakland, with the nonsensical line of the night, says they are literally hanging from the rafters. And I think, that's got to fucking hurt. Yeah. We do get a really good Ric Flair promo, which I'll splice in here, though. Cold. Do we have the soft caress 
of the former Mrs. Macho Man in hand. Yes. So me, Gene, viewers worldwide, I love to do this more than anything else in life today. Woman is the giant, half the man the nature boy is. He's a small man in comparison to the champ. You heard it? He's a small man next to the nature boy. Now, Miss Elizabeth, we're not snapping in the Slim Jims. We're walking with the nature boy. Is the giant anywhere near the man that the nature boy is? Absolutely not. Meijin, question answered. Giant, come and get it. That will happen a little bit later on here tonight, bro. Stay tuned. It's going to be the Bruiser and his Lordship coming up next. Um, basically saying he's not worried about the Giant and putting over that he's the man. So why should he be worried? I, I really enjoyed that. What did you think? Yeah, I've got... Just talks about how he bangs woman in Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> Screw the Giant. <laughs> he's going to bang him too then. Yeah, pretty much. He's, <laughs> he's, he's uh, uh, the... Um, Obviously, we've still got the interaction between Gene Oakland and the woman as well, which is the highlight in any of those Ric Flair interviews. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it's just, it was basically the kind of like, Ric Flair just came out and talked about whatever he wanted, really. Didn't really hype the match, just came across that he wasn't really bothered about it. Um, I like the sort of thing of where, is it subtle or is it is intentional that he still has Randy Savage's name on the title? Just kind of like those little things that kind of just irk at Randy Savage. I think the commentary team actually mentioned that at some point during the show where they say that he's not taking it off because he wants to rub it in. Yeah, no, I like it. It's good. It's very ahead of its time. And then this leads, leads me into, this obviously leads us into our match of what I consider the best match out of all three. Regal Finley. Oh, this is good though, isn't it? It is um, brilliant. The Belfast Bruiser, Finley taking on Regal in a um, parking lot brawl. But before we get there, you are forgetting one little ditty. It's a um, small matter of some Mortal Kombat copyright infringement. Oh, Glacier, yeah. <laughs> An advert for Glacier, and it looked cool. <laughs> I know it becomes outdated before he's even debuted, but I, I liked it. It was cool. Yeah, I like that he um, was... Did you see that he was uh, from the All In? He was part of Cody's entourage, Glacier was. I did not see that. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah, brilliant. Um, we get Regal and Finlay kicking the fuck out of each other early. And Finlay puts his foot through a car window, which is quite cool. And one thing I, I liked about this, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you think, is um, they've kind of done this. like It's just a small four or five cars in a circle. A bit like, you know, the WWF would do a parking lot brawl. It'd be like an iron circle match. There'd be a a wrestler in each car slapping the hood and it looked very staged. Whereas they've kind of just done this outside and there's a bit of a guardrail around it, but there's a huge crowd watching it. Yeah. I thought that really added to the effect. I saw a few, there's like some police officers as well in amongst them or sheriffs or whatever. That was yeah, done. It was, it was done well. It was uh, obviously trying to think of other past Eddie Guerrero, John Cena had one. Yeah, that's the kind of that's the one that always sticks in my mind. Or was it um, Owen Hart and Shamrock? It was definitely Shamrock and someone. Or was it Steve Blackman? Like an oh, Iron Circle Blackman. match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other one that sticks in my mind. Yes. We get 
Finley and Regal break a bumper off a truck, which was kind of cool. Finley slams Regal under the bonnet of a car um, and then chokes him with a seatbelt. This is a really good brawl. A safety um, strap. Yeah. <laughs> Bish yeah, off. Like He's got the up. safety strap, like, shut up. Like they're being taken to a local medical facility. Yeah. They fight in the back of a pickup truck. Um, Regal smashes Finley through a window. Um, we then get an elbow drop on the bonnet, and then Finley backdrops Regal onto the roof, and then Regal pile drives him on the car for the one-two-three. And yeah, you're right, a really fucking awesome match. I'm, I'm not sure if I would go this one over Diesel and Sean, but it's certainly, it's close, and you know you can you can pick either way, but it's better than anything else we saw. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I think it's. I think obviously with the Diesel Sean, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get good match, and when when you start this up and you've got. Harlem Heat Wrestling, and then you've got Regal Finley in a parking lot brawl. You're like, oh, yeah, all right, fair enough. But then they just absolutely battered each other, wrecked everything. I loved it at the end when he did, the, when he did it, and then Heenan's going, wait a minute, that's my car. That, <laughs> that made me laugh. I just, they just absolutely battered each other. Finley looked like a beast, even though he lost. And like, literally every time they picked someone up, I was legitimately like, oh, my God. Like, at one point, he picked up a concrete block. He picked up the bumper. They were going, the heads were going through windows, the fists were going through windows. It was it was brutal, it was horrendous. Good job Goldberg wasn't there, else he probably would have <laughs> severed all of his arteries. But for, for, for saying like something like came completely out of left field, we're saying that like Shaw versus Diesel were ahead of its time in violence. This was about ten years ahead of where um any anything anything close to it. I, had to, I did a quick Google to see if anybody, if either of them came out with any kind of injuries, because obviously their last match when they potated each other and Regal had a broken nose and everything, but by the looks of it, neither, neither of them came out with anything. But I loved it. It was just completely out of nowhere. I thought, oh, here we go. What's this going to be like? But from start to finish, glued, it went by quickly. Oh, it's brilliant. I've got, to, I've got to agree with you. This was really... You're right, completely out of left field, but it was awesome and brutal. Like, this was a really good fight. Um, it looked like a fight because it was supposed to look like a fight. So hats off to both guys. This was fantastic and, yeah, well and truly unexpected. Yeah. So when, I put, when I saw the, the running order and I thought, because you start off with two tag team matches and you think, why two tag... It annoys me when they do things like that. Why two tag matches straight after each other? But then you think... Like, with the whole card, you couldn't have moved anything to anybody. You couldn't have had this segue in between those two matches. So it was nice. You had like the, the potato fest before of it, which led you into this. So I think the other way, if Regal was Finley before that, it, they wouldn't have seemed as effective with the throwing them around and whatnot. So, no, it was, it was, I thought, like I'd say, I thought everything was perfectly positioned afterwards. I agree completely. Um, and then, of course, the most important uh, segment of the night is going to be the World Heavyweight Championship match. Giant taking on Ric Flair, challenging him for the title. Yeah, quickly, going back, sorry. Um, the fact the camera kept getting further and further out the, the, as the match continued, because like, they're obviously like, things are getting more violent. There's going to be like blood and everything, which I thought was good as well. Oh, and Bischoff was asking for the wider shot on commentary, which really helped sell it as well. So you're right. I should have put a note about that in there. It did make the match seem more and more violent when the commentary team were asking them not to shoot it. Yeah. But yeah, moving into our main event, it is Giant taking on Ric Flair. Um, Flair, in his entrance, hits on Deborah McMichael at ringside again. Um, Mongo's getting more and more agitated every time that happens, so it was definitely something brewing there. Um 
Giant no-sells some early Ric Flair offense. Um, Bischoff spends the whole night promoting the NBA, which is strange. Yeah. Um, but what's more strange than that is they didn't share their thoughts on promoting the NBA across the whole commentary team because Mongo McMichael comes out and goes, talking about the Giant, this guy isn't one of those gangly, lanky basketball players after Bischoff's spent all night telling you to watch the NBA. Yeah. So that just cracked me up. Uh, some more co- Mongo gold on commentary. We get a press slam by the Giant, and Ric Flair runs and hides behind Woman. He pokes Giant in the eye, and then uh, Giant no-sells some strikes. Ric Flair goes up top and, as usual, gets caught. This is not Carlito. He won't be hitting a move tonight. <laughs> Giant hits a vertical suplex before Woman distracts the referee, allowing Ric Flair to nail a low blow and then nail Giant with a foreign object. He puts on a figure four, but Giant gets up and goozles him. Hits a choke slam for the one, two, three. Holy shit. Gene is out. Um, Jimmy Hart comes out. Um, and Ric Flair, uh, Jimmy Hart basically says, Ric Flair can go home with the women, but I'm going home with the champs. So, yeah, all right. You know, <laughs> we thought Jose and Sean was a power couple. <laughs> but um, yeah, this was completely out of left field. And then Giant lays down the gauntlet to all the baby faces um, as the commentary team sign off with a title change on Nitro. So... I did not see this coming. What did you think? No, I think... Um, no, I agree. I didn't... It's the fact... That the crowd didn't see it coming. I think it was kind of... Um, the three-car happened. The crowd went wild. And they kind of, like, died down a bit when they think, well, hang on a minute, it's the Giant. Because he's still fairly new, still fairly green. Um, but no, it was, it was good. It was kind of like... Because you, you expect the whole match. You expect... The horseman to come out, or you expect some chicanery, you expect some bullshittery, you expect some Ric Flairisms, and then, like, say the three cat happened, it was kind of like when, I don't know, a bizarre comparison, but like Brock Lesnar Taker, you expect, you wait for the Undertaker to kick out of that three for the F5, and he didn't. So you're kind of like, oh, right, okay. And the crowd responding to that, like, you're expecting with the, with the punch, with the loaded glove, you're expecting, like, oh, here we go, like, classic, this is how it's going to end, and it didn't. It, Ended with a pinfall and a new champion. It was it was a pleasant surprise. It, my only slight irk was we've seen before when Rick puts the figure four on and people are lying down. The ref starts counting, but the big the big show. The giant was apparently knocked out lying down. He puts the figure four on and the ref didn't do it. Why why didn't he do the pin? Slightly annoyed me a little bit, but apart from that, did what he said on the tin. Yeah, definitely. I thought I thought this was quite good. Um, Nitro overall was a good show, um, so we definitely have some competition for Raw. Should we go over and pick ourselves a winner? Yep, let's get to it. <laughs> All right, so first category for this one is going to be storylines. Who do you think advances storylines better on the night? Uh, oh, I've got to give this to, well, Raw's the only one who really had any storyline. The Flair Giant, the title change was all part of is all part of something, but. Obviously, we had Bulldog Sean, which progressed nicely. Um, you had the beginnings of building Mankind, the Stone Cold Steve Austin Savio thing. So I'll give it to Raw on this one. I think every every match on Raw involved something of some kind. We've worried Lawler, New Rockers Godwin's involved in with Sonny and whatnot. It's just amazing. Like we said, I've said in a preview episode, the whole tag team division is built around Sonny, which is pretty mental, to be honest. Yeah, completely. I agree completely. I've got nothing nothing to say differently on that one. I thought the whole um, 
Sean Bulldog thing was by far the best story of either show. Um, production value, I also went with Raw because of the stuff we've talked about earlier. Did you go that way or did you see something that, that swung you back the other way? No, same thing, the same, like I say, like the, the Nitro has all like the glitz and the glamour, but they don't have like the video replays, the, the stuff like that. So that's where it lacks. What about characters then? I, I actually went with WCW. I thought they brought far more stars out. Who did you go with for that? Yeah, same. I was, <clears throat> I was, well, I was weighing it up in comparison. But when you look through, you've literally got every single match has got, I would say, big names. Regal Finley, not exactly big names, but they brought it. Your Steiners, Harlem Heat, Sting and Lex, Flair and Giant, everyone they could have had, they used. So you've got... Raw always fails without you. Again, you've got a nothing. New Rockers, Godwin's match. Stone Cold, Scott Taylor was just there for that. And the, WCW brought big guns. Not Bart Gun. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Sorry, bear with me one sec, mate. I've just got to hit pause for one second. Okay, have I got to pause? Don't press pause. Just I'll be back in one second. Okay. Sorry, mate, crying babies I'll have to go and deal with in a second, but we're just about at the end now, so we'll just power through it. All right. So, for the crowd, um, I actually thought WCW had the hotter crowd as well. Who did you think had the hotter crowd for this one? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think to be fair, I'd say it was a tie. I mean, you had... They got mental for the right people. They went mental for Sean when he came out on Raw. Um, they... Seem to they seem to enjoy the sh, the, sh, the pay per view. The crowd did more than the people me watching it. So I would have gone fifty fifty. Probably edged it with Nitro with obviously because they had a, the show that they had in front of them. They all they seem to be loving it. So that's going to mean that the the last one here is going to be the big decider. Match quality. Who did you go with for match quality on the night? Uh, well, obviously take I kind of summed it up in. Match quality wise, I kind of just did it Nitro versus Raw and Nitro smashed it to be honest. I agree completely. I had Nitro knocked Raw out the park with match quality. And I think overall, like by far for me, the more entertaining show was Nitro. So the things Raw did well, they did well, but it wasn't the most exciting of shows. It was fairly mundane and Nitro just, yeah, hit you with surprise after surprise. So by far the, the runaway winner for me personally. Yeah. So that'll do it for this episode. We've got the, the pay-per-view in the bag. We've got Raw and Nitro um, knocked over. The next time we come out, um, I actually have no idea what the upcoming pay-per-views are. I have a, I th Well, actually, I think it might be Beware of Dog, which could be the one that the power goes out on, but we're going to yeah. find that out soon enough. Um, when, yeah, when, thingy, when, the paper, when the last in your eyes finished, you went straight into and started playing that one. Yeah, so that's what we've got to look forward to. Are you excited for that coming up? Uh, yeah, can't be a strap match. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you once again for coming on, Carl. Much appreciated. No worries, it's been too long. Worst. Motherfucker never loved her. Fucker never loved her. You ain't know now, you know now. Still at the scrub jays with a toothbrush. Shit. Niggas still playing my old shit. But your shit is like the police asking us questions. Nigga, we don't know shit. Nigga, I'm just flex. Nigga, never loved us. Do a little like we stress. Look at you, look at you, and look at you. Ah, uh, 
I'm glad that they chose us. Command and submission, try to fight to the finish just to see if I finish. On my worst behavior, no. They used to never want to hear us. Remember? Motherfucker never loved us. Remember? Motherfucker. Remember? Motherfucker never loved us. I'm on my worst behavior. Don't you ever get it fucked up. Motherfuckers never loved us. Man, motherfucker never loved us. Worst behavior. Motherfucker never loved us. Fucker never loved us. Worst behavior. Hold up. Hold my phone. Motherfuckers never loved us. Fucker never loved us. Now you wanna roll one. Motherfucker never loved us. So everywhere we go now, full cup. Always hated the boy, but now the boy is the man, motherfucker. I done grew it up. You know me. You know me. I'm liable to do anything when it comes to that. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me. Bitch, you better have my money when I come for the shit like ODB. On my worst behavior. No. They used to never want to hear us. Remember? Motherfucker never loved us. Remember? Motherfucker. Remember? Motherfucker never loved us. I'm on my worst behavior. Don't you ever get it fucked up. Motherfuckers never loved us. Man, motherfucker never loved us. Worst behavior. Motherfucker never loved us. Fucker never loved us. Worst behavior. Who's high, who not? Tell me who rock, who sell out in the store? You tell me who flop, who copped a new drop? Who jewels got rocks? Who else making rap albums doing numbers like it's pop? Same old pimp, Drake, you know ain't nothing changed with these funny style niggas we done put on in the game. I just asked for some blessings at my grandmother's grave, then it's back to LA. Open the mail, staring at the check. Enough to make you thought, man, it's gross what I net. I'm with my whole set, tennis matches at the crib. I swear I could be Serena when she playing with her left. Oh, where I reside, it look like a resort inside. Nigga, where your shit from? I imported mine. Ball miss for money like my last name, more high. Fuck you, bitch, I'm more than high. My mama probably hear that and be mortified. This ain't the sun you raise, it used to take the Acura at 5 a.m. to go and shoot the grassy up on the side. For all the sun, I'll forever be immortalized. Yeah, back and forth across the borderline. Hate to leave the city, but I gotta do the overtime. Gone all the time, even the important times. I should let you know ahead, I'm coming back on my worst behavior. Remember? Remember? Motherfucker! Remember? Hold up, hold my phone. They used to never want to hear us. Remember? Motherfucker never loved us. Remember? Motherfucker. Remember? Worst behavior.